sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. We have often talked on the show about the deadly mix of religion and politics. And throughout Christian history, the damage that has been done. Our topic today is the influence of conservative evangelical Bible-believing religion on the environment and the issue of climate. Our guest today, Kyle Myers Scott, is the national organizer and spokesperson for Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Kyle, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thanks for having me on. So where I'd like to begin is if you could take a minute to, as if you could do it in a minute, give us the biblical basis for Christians to care about the state of the planet and the environment. Oh boy, a minute. I'm a pastor, so you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> a minute. The trap door is going to open after a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, what I really like to say is that Scripture not only whispers God's concern for creation and our call to care from a few passages tucked away in Genesis, it actually shouts it from all corners of the story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation and right through the heart of the gospel, actually. And for me... So it, give us it, a couple of examples of scriptures that Christians might be overlooking. Happy to. So um, starting in Genesis, as most people do when they think about creation, I really love Genesis 2.15 when it talks about God taking the soil and forming humans out of the soil. There's actually a Hebrew pun there that says that communicates really clearly that these human creatures that God is creating are soil creatures. We're so bound up with the rest of the earth. We're soil creatures, and God breathes his life into them. And then he tells them to avad and shamar the garden. Those are the Hebrew words. And they're often translated as serve or till and keep. Um, but actually, when you look at those Hebrew words throughout the rest of the Old Testament, they're much closer to serve and protect. Um, God calls us to serve and protect the good works of God's hands. Um, I really like to go to Job and the Psalms that talk about a God who takes such delight in God's creation that he watches over the mountain goats as they pick their way across the impossible passes where they live. And he counts the months until the doe bears her fawn. Just this language of intimate connection with creation and, and God's deep and abiding love for it. And I, I like to, to talk about Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 that talk about this idea that Christ is reconciling all things to himself. And the Greek makes it pretty clear that Paul is truly talking about all things. And what that means then for God's ultimate purposes for creation, maybe it means that somehow God has humans and the rest of God's creation in God's saving sights. And Revelation 21 shows us something similar when it shows us that the end of the story 
is not disembodied souls being sucked up into an ethereal heaven while the earth burns. It's, it's actually heaven coming down to earth, the new Jerusalem coming down to earth, and God joining heaven and earth once and for all in a new heaven and a new earth. And again, the Greek doesn't communicate brand new, starting from scratch. It communicates taking what is and redeeming it, restoring it, bringing what is to its fullest intended purposes. Um, those are just a few examples of, of what I see in scripture to be this really fundamental thread of God creating a good world that God calls good and that God loves and takes delight in for its own sake. God who Kyle, to share thank, that delight. Thank yeah. you so much. What a blessing it is to hear your perspective on this. One verse that I think of in context here is Romans 8.22 about sure. the entire creation groaning, waiting to be delivered. So, you know, we think of ourselves as suffering from the ravages of sin, mm -hmm. but the entire planet is suffering from the ravages of sin. And I just love that, you know, that imagery. So, well, I think it's important that we ground this discussion about, you know, what's a proper Christian attitude and approach towards issues of the environment and the climate um, in Scripture. So we know, you know, we have a shared worldview to Absolutely. begin with that, you know, because we're on, look, we're on Christian radio. Our listening audience is predominantly sharing, you know, a biblical uh, worldview, I would think. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and yet it seems to me that so many Christians have been sold an attitude of hostility to to the notion of climate change, to the notion that we need to do more to reduce global warming and mm -hmm. to, you know, to deal with the issues of our host planet here. So why do you think that is? Why is mm -hmm. it that Christians have been, you know, sold this idea that all of this is somehow dangerous and part of the enemy's plan? Mm. It's a terrific question. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it for a long time um, since I've been doing this work, and I don't think I have any ironclad answers, some ideas. Um, and I, I think fundamentally, when we think about the reason why the issue of the environment, and not even the environment, let's use that the language of that biblical worldview, right? Why the issue of God's creation has become partisan and polarized the fundamental answer to why anything becomes partisan and polarized is because it benefits someone or some party for that to be the case. And somewhere along the line, it became beneficial for the issue of God's creation to become a partisan wedge issue. Clearly, it's beneficial to fossil fuel corporations who continue to benefit from um, loose regulation on their continued activities. There's plenty of evidence showing that fossil fuel corporations have engaged in misinformation campaigns to ensure that um, confusion persists in the general public around the issue of climate change. And it's become beneficial for political parties for this to become a wedge issue, for them to galvanize their voting block against and to, to kind of hold their voting block in place by creating um, circumstances that are scary and fearful and, and casting themselves as uh, the only ones who can protect folks against those scary and fearful things like increased regulation, like bigger government, like one world government solutions to climate change. And the, the pity is that um, 
in doing that, we've really lost the vast common ground that we all have. Because when you think about it, we all care about a healthy environment. We all eat food. We all breathe air. We all drink water. All of our kids and grandkids play on grass. And, and, and we all want clean, healthy air and water and food. Um, and there are tons of solutions out there that don't rely on these big, scary things like the United Nations, One World Government, mm-hmm. um, and, and all these other things. There's lots of common ground that we can find when we release ourselves from the lie that this isn't something we need to care about. Because, in fact, all have a reason to care about this. So, Kyle, when I hear you talking about clean water... I'm reminded that that's one of the few things you cannot find on the grocery store shelves or at Costco these days, you know, at least in the early stages as we're recording of the, uh, you know, the response to the coronavirus. We all want clean water, and water is more expensive, actually, if you buy it in smaller quantities than buying gasoline at the gas pump. So, you know, I think your your follow-the-money analysis has a lot of merit to it, But there's also kind of a theology and even an eschatology, you know, kind of a uh, uh, ideas about last day events that have been packed into this notion that somehow caring about the environment is part of the agenda of the Antichrist and, Hmm. you know, is demonic and it's associated with, uh, you know, liberals and Satanists and, you know, what have you. Can you talk about that for a minute? Where does that come from? Sure. So um, the idea of, of environmental care and concern and climate action being the purview of the Antichrist and one world government, um, that's fairly recent in theological history. Many of its roots are in the Left Behind series, for instance. And in this theology, I'm going to throw a big theology word at you that we probably don't have time to unpack, but this idea of premillennial dispensationalism. Um, the Earth's history can be broken up into dispensations or periods and um, we're entering the last one or, or getting close to the last one. Um, and I would love to just bring us back to the first thing we talked about at the beginning, this idea of biblical worldview. Actually, notions of complicated timetabling and um, getting into the business of trying to predict when God is going to bring about his ultimate purposes for the world um, is actually not very biblical. Uh, in fact, whenever we see it in scripture, we see Jesus telling us not to do that. He says, nobody knows the time or the hour of my father's coming, not even me. So we even see from Jesus an admonishment not to not to concern ourselves with those kinds of um, complicated predictions because that's not the calling of Christians. In fact, what Jesus also tells us in um, the parable of the talents is that as we wait, uh, we're called not to wait on our hands and do nothing, looking to the sky, waiting for Christ to return. We're we're called to use the gifts and the talents that Jesus has given us uh, based on the commands he has given us to love God and to love our neighbor, to spread his gospel of good news of peace and justice to all for as long as we have. Uh, and when we look at what the impacts of climate change are on real people, we see that actually creation care equals people care. And when we take care of the earth, we're better able to take care of people. We're better able to love our neighbors, um, including young kids, the unborn, um, and other vulnerable populations. So it's actually an act of deep faithfulness to care for God's creation and to address the impacts of climate change. So I live in Southern California now. I grew up in New York. And when I used to come out to visit my family here in L.A., 
you could see this huge brown, you know, fog mm. once you cross the Colorado River. The whole Southern California basin was enveloped in this awful brown goop. And as I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of that compared with, you know, we're in the early weeks of social distancing here. And when I go out, the air is so crisp. It's mm. so clear. The light of the early morning sun is just magnificent. You know, it takes your breath away. It's like something, you know, you discover for the first time. You know, we have made progress. Here in California, we really know, you know, that we've made an awful lot of progress. And, of course, there's plenty more to be made. But I think if you said to people, do you really want to go back to those days when mm. you've got these brown clouds enveloping our cities? Uh, you know, maybe they'd get a little different idea. Yeah, this is okay. We do need to do more you know, just for the basics of clean air and clean water. Yeah, and the second half of that argument, which is a great one, is, and we can have clean air and clean water and not go back to the Stone Age, right? Like we have the technology we need to continue to build sustainable prosperity for everybody that doesn't sacrifice clean air and clean water. Clean energy technology can provide clean air because we're not combusting fossil fuels and combining it with really warm air at ground level and creating smog from millions of tailpipes. You know, there are ways to have that crisp, clean creation and also have a healthy, thriving economy at the same time. Well, and I dare say there's enough political issues that divide. We don't need to have this one as another divisive issue. We don't yeah. have to cast, you know, those who want a clean, safe planet as the enemy. Because we all we want that. have to demonize <laughs> people for this, right? Yep. And, you know, I think this is the problem is it's so easy to see, you know, to demonize the other and not to see that this is something that can, that really should be part of our own Christian value system. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. Our guest today, Kyle Meyer-Scott, is the National Organizer of Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. Freedom's Ring.